0: what did you have for breakfast this morning
1: what tea (laughs) i'm not a breakfast girl i don't eat really much until lunch but i had um what's it called it's not a beyond burger i think unbelievable burger it's like a vegan burger but it tastes like real hamburger it was really good for lunch
0: Hi, I'm Tim. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit through conversations with extraordinary people. We are here to learn the skills we can use to intentionally create the life we want to live. Within these conversations lie all sorts of lessons learned, epiphany moments, and techniques to navigate the messiness of life, as shared with us by the people living through it. We're not perfect. We're not alone. We're only human. Today, I'm joined by Nicole Sachs. She's a mother, daughter, psychotherapist, and author of the book *The Meaning of Truth*. She's dedicated her work and much of her life to curing chronic pain um, through kind of the practices you were you were uh, worked with, Doctor, excuse me, Doctor John Sarno, who is an expert in TMS and psychological origins of chronic pain. And then you've also developed some of your own techniques of journal speak and this idea of kind of, I I think it was in your bio of giving emotions a steam valve, which I love. (laughs) And so from what I understand, your whole interest in dedicating your life and work and in a lot of the time you spend... To this is because you yourself at 19 were diagnosed with a form of chronic pain. Can you? I don't know if I can pronounce the condition you were diagnosed with. I'll do it
1: for you. (laughs) Nobody can pronounce it. It's called spondylolisthesis.
0: You did that effortlessly.
1: Well, I've said it a hundred million times.
0: (laughs) Spondolilithis.
1: Okay, spondylolisthesis.
0: I'm so glad you're here.
1: Forgive yourself. (laughs) Forgive yourself. Don't worry about it.
0: And that is basically something with your lower spine. Is it just, um, is something broken in your lower spine or is it? Out of whack or?
1: I mean, you know, I'm not a doctor, but it looks pretty gnarly on MRI and X ray. Um, essentially, oh, okay. it, it, um, it is a condition of the lower spine where it kind of looks as if my two va- vertebrae are sitting atop one another. I have stre- stress fractures in, um, in two of my vertebrae, and then I have a whole vertebrae that's, um, shattered and replaced with scar tissue. So, um, it's, it's pretty, um, abnormal. And, you know, it's funny. I can even feel it when I roll my my fingers down my spine, I feel it um, kind of go in and then I feel it bump out. And so when I had horrible chronic pain as a freshman in college and I was brought home from college and I did all these tests, it seemed very obvious that that must be why I was in pain, because I had this very abnormal situation in my lower spine. And it had a name, spondylolisthesis. It was a diagnosable condition. So it was absolutely intuitive to all involved, myself, my parents, my doctors, that this must be why I was in terrible chronic pain.
0: Yeah, I think that, that makes so much sense because we do run straight to, oh, there's something physically causing this pain. There, it's got to be physical and so your kind of work is this idea that it's not always a physical cause. I mean, like it can be. I mean, in your case was it the spine causing the chronic pain, or was it was, just? It was
1: not. It was not. So the best way I can describe it is that. Well, let me start here. When I when I give talks to large groups of people, sometimes I bring an Etch-A-Sketch with me. And an Etch-A-Sketch, for anybody under the age of 16 that might never (laughs) have heard of it, it's like the first iPad ever. So it's basically an art tool where you can turn the knobs and you can create a picture on the screen of this Etch-A-Sketch. And when you're finished with it, you shake it really hard. It's kind of made of sand behind the behind the screen portion, and it erases the picture. And I always tell people, if you're really going to get the most that you need to get out of the conversation you're about to hear today, and I'll say it, Tim, to your listeners, um, I would like you to shake your Etch-A-Sketch when it comes to what it is to be well or what it is to be sick, or what it is to be damaged, or what it is to need a doctor. Because if people are listening to it through the lens of their old thinking, which is, of course, Nicole, you have this severe abnormality, it makes complete sense that that would cause the pain. They're not going to hear me in the same fashion. So I always invite people, just open your mind and imagine that there is brilliance and magic in the human body that you don't understand because even the best doctors at Harvard and the Mayo Clinic and Hopkins and whatever, all the places we study the human brain only, um, only know what six, eight percent of the human brain, brain, whatever percentage we're at at the point where like, you know, the understood, sure. um, you know, uh, percentage. So, there is so much that we don't understand about brain science, about what causes adrenaline to flood and for a mother to be able to lift the car off her baby, whereas she could walk up to a car on any given day and not be able to budget a millimeter. You know, we have superhuman powers that exist within our fight or flight response. And so what I learned from working for years with Dr. John Sarno at NYU was that the human body is riddled with what he calls normal abnormalities. So we're all shaped differently on the inside just like we're all shaped differently on the outside. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't look at me and think I was your sister. You know what your sister looks like, you know what I look like. We look like two different people. Well, my spine might be abnormally shaped on the bottom. It may be, you know, maybe because I rode horses as a kid and I got I got knocked off a couple times or maybe I could have been born this way. There's actually really no way to know the origin of why my spine looks different. However, um, when I started doing Dr. John Sarno's mind-body work, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, my pain went away completely and has never returned. So I'm 48 years old and I defied every single odd that was given to me. I was told I wasn't going to be able to play sports or travel or sleep in certain positions or carry biological children and I have three children and gave birth to them after exercising until the day they were born. I have, I'm a, I'm a cyclist. I'm a rollerblader. I hike. I've traveled the world. I have literally no chronic pain, but my MRI looks exactly the same. So it's, it's really about understanding that there are so many reasons why our bodies hurt. And then there's just as many conditions that don't have an origin that then do, like, for example, migraines. You could go, you could have horrible migraines, debilitating. You can't see properly. It's affecting your, you know, you're throwing up. It's affecting your balance. They can take a brain scan and it's totally normal. So there's many conditions that I treat that don't have an obvious origin. And then there's many where people do have a bulging disc or do have a, sp- a spondylolisthesis or do have a, um, uh, bone on bone, you know, problems with arthritis. But when they do my work, which is an evolution of Dr. Sarno's work, They are literally pain-free and it never comes back. And so it's really the question I ask people once I tell them to shake their Etch-a-Sketch is, what are you willing to be curious about if you no longer want to suffer? And we start there.
0: First of all, I love how you describe the Etch-a-Sketch as an iPad. (laughs) The original. (laughs) Yeah, the original iPad. I've never heard that (laughs) description and now I'm going to use it. But I also love how you invite us all to shake our etzer sketch. I'm wondering for you at what point did you shake your etzer sketch because I'm guessing when you first started experiencing this chronic pain, you might not have had you know a refreshed view of anything yet did did that True. come through your experience trying to figure out what was going on you know a freshman in college
1: um you know it's it's a great question, and the answer is desperation leads to surrender and surrender leads to truth. And I will tell you, it's getting a little, I'm the bottom is raising a little bit now because I've, I've been in practice for, you know, two decades. But when I first started this work, I only got the lowest bottom cases. They had to crawl through my office door. They already had four failed surgeries and they'd already been addicted to pain meds and had to go through recovery. I mean, the lowest bottoms because Nobody would try mind-body work until they were so desperate. They were on their knees. They were begging God for help and anything. They would do anything. That's called desperation. Desperation leads to surrender, and surrender leads to infinite possibilities. And so for me, it was like that. I refused to believe that I was going to be a person who couldn't have a biological child. I refused to believe that I wasn't going to travel and exercise and play sports and do everything. I was 19. So there was something that kind of, you know, it's it's almost a spiritual answer, which is I don't know why. I don't know why all of a sudden I turned around and I said, the medical model is telling me that I need spinal fusion surgery, which at the time you have to realize we're talking about 1991 would have mean I would be six weeks in a body cast and all sorts of decreased mobility for life with a fused spine, which, by the way, now in retrospect, I know after working with thousands of people. 99% 99% of spinal back surgery does not cure pain. And so, and, and doctors know this and they're very well meaning, but it's, it's got an incredibly low success rate in terms of pain cessation. Um, regardless of what is changed structurally. And so I just, I looked the, I, I wanted, I wanted something more. I looked the other way. I looked out into the infinite possibilities of the universe and I found Dr. John Sarno and it changed my life.
0: It sounds to me like it was almost also a refusal to accept a life that you didn't want to have. Like you had a vision for this life where you could do all those things and damn, you were going to find a way to get there. Amen. (laughs) So how did you cross paths with, with Dr. John Sarno and then to the point where you're working with him?
1: Uh, It's a great story. It's a fun story. I was in graduate school. So I first got this diagnosis in undergrad. And um, after, you know, taking all the steroids and the muscle relaxers and the pain meds, um, I got I moved from sort of an acute pain incident into chronic pain. And I was completed my undergrad and I moved to New York City and I was working and then I decided I wanted to go back to school to be a therapist. So this is even before I did any of the mind body work, I was already I already had a desire to learn about the psychological and I already had a psych undergrad. That was what my ma- my um, My major was in undergrad. So I had so so in all fairness, I was I was curious about this kind of workings of the human mind already. So I'm in grad school, and this is back when Rosie O'Donnell had her daily talk show, and my mother was watching Rosie, and it was a follow-up episode to an original episode that was called Fix Jeanette – And Rosie O'Donnell had a producer named Jeanette Barber, and she was in a motorized wheelchair. She had so much pain in her knees and her legs and her ankles that she was in a motorized wheelchair and no doctor could figure out how to help her. And Rosie apparently had gone on her show and said it was a segment called Fix Jeanette. And she had said, Jeanette is suffering. Does anyone out there have any ideas for her? And apparently people wrote into the show and said, have her check out the work of Dr. John Sarno, who at the time was an attending physician at the Rusk Center for Rehabilitation at the NYU Medical Center in New York City. And so Jeanette ended up going to Dr. Sarno. And so my mother was watching the follow up episode, which is always the one to watch. You know, the the big reveal. (laughs) And um, Jeanette Barber, who had been previously in this motorized wheelchair. And of course, they had the film reel of her being terrible and corrupt chronic pain, came out, did a cartwheel on stage, and then they showed footage of her running the New York Marathon.
0: Oh, so my goodness.
1: my mother, with I'm Her Only Child, her baby, who had been suffering with this horrible pain and all this scary diagnoses, she called me in absolute you know, hysterics, like so excited and just said, you have to get this book. It's, it, Dr. John Sarner wrote four books. They were all bestsellers. But the second book that he had written at that time was called Healing Back Pain. Um if anyone out there is interested in reading his work I recommend The Mind Body Prescription which was the book he wrote next but at the time healing back pain was the one and I got it and I understood his theory. I like I, I can't say in all honesty that I read the book. <laughs> I'm I'm one of those really kind of like short attention span people where if I if I kind of get something I get it. And what I got at that time from his book was yes. We have physical abnormalities, but we really live in a mind-body system. And sometimes when we're feeling rage and shame and sadness and grief, and we don't know how to process it, it ends up being expressed through brain science. So not through hippy-dippy, you know, whatever, burning sage. Like literally through brain science, it gets expressed through our bodies. And I think right now in – Modern day thinking that's much more accepted in terms of trauma being expressed through our bodies and the ACEs study for adverse childhood experiences. And there's so many, so much great science out there. But at the time, it really took a leap of faith to believe that I could be really angry or really, um, or I had unresolved stuff from my childhood and I could be feeling that as back pain. And that could be literally the only reason why I was hurting. And so I just set out to do a science experiment on myself because, as I say, desperation leads to surrender. I was like, hands up. I, I'll do anything. And um, I started to pay attention to when I would get back pain. And at the time, I was actually nannying for a few kids. And sometimes it was really frustrating. And I was in grad school. And you know, I was overwhelmed. And I would notice that my back would be hurting. And I would ask myself the question, why are you so angry right now? And I would do a little mental inventory. I mean, this was back in the early, early days before I really had any concept of what I was doing. I wasn't even licensed as a therapist yet. And um, and I would attend to the pain a few minutes later and I would realize it was gone. And that was just the spark I needed. That was enough to embark on the real journey that ended up causing me to make this my whole life's work.
0: I can imagine the first time you realized that that sort of technique worked that must have just blown your mind i mean like you think about the the desperation the surrender and all of a sudden there's a little hint here of something that appears to be chipping away at, you know at this at this pain
1: yes it was it was wild and it was like anything else it was an invitation
0: so then did you continue to follow like what dr Jordan Sarno was i mean you you scanned or read his book and you know kind of I got it. I got the yeah. You got it. (laughs) You got it. Did you just kind of dive deeper and deeper into what he was doing?
1: I did not. So this is – and this is another reason why I'm really honest about my story because I help people. Like I said, I work with people. I don't actually – by the way, I don't see patients anymore. A lot of people, every time I appear on anything, I get all these emails like that they want to work with me because people are desperate and they want help. I don't see private patients anymore. But I do teach retreats and I do – you know, once COVID is cleared up, I do travel and I speak and I do a lot of um, – I share a lot and I teach a lot. But – um So anyway, I tell this story and I'm honest about it because recovery is not a straight line and there is no one and done because what this work is inviting you to realize is that we live in a mind-body system. Sometimes we feel things in our hearts. So like you feel sad one day or you're irritable one day or you feel like weird and tender and you kind of feel like embarrassed about stuff. That's that's the way you feel things in your hearts. And sometimes you feel things in your body. You have a headache, you have a backache, you get a stomach thing, you break out in hives, you feel anxious. Okay, so there's there's lots of ways to feel things and they are literally interchangeable. So you can feel anger in your back and you can feel a breakup with your boyfriend or girlfriend in your stomach. And most people know that but it's really hard for them to connect the dots when something becomes chronic because chronic pain is not an epidemic of pain, it's an epidemic of fear. And when we start getting scared that something's really wrong with us and our life is going to be limited and we add meaning to that fear, we get ourselves in this entrenched predicament where we feel like there's no way to get out of it and that's when the fear, that's when people are are, are super, super um, stuck in chronic conditions and I, I work with them a lot. So what happened to me is that I got this concept from the basically reading the back cover in the first few f- pages of the book. I was just like, Oh, I get it. And then I started doing that for myself, kind of taking inventory mentally, but I never really did the work. I never really sat down and took a look at my whole life and my triggers and things that I teach people to do. So I, um, I had that natural denial of youth, you know, I was only in my 20s and I got married and I had two kids. And like I said, I exercised until the day they were born and i was like i'm done you know wipe my hands of it i'm that was that was then this is now no more chronic pain and when my son oliver was 10 months old he's actually going to be 16 in a couple of weeks so this was quite a while ago um he was toddling around on our back deck and i wanted him i wanted to bring his little um walker from the deck to the driveway which was only two steps and instead of taking him out and doing it separately i just leaned right over it and i picked it up which by the way would not be a problem normally, but at now I realized at the time, probably my stress levels were up to here and I was primed for some level of a mind body issue. And, um, it felt like there was a hot knife dragging through my back. It was searing pain. All of my Sarno work went out the window and I said, Oh, well, I've done it now. I was stupid. I had these babies and I've destroyed my body and I've ruined my life and that sent me into a year of terrible chronic pain where I was so depressed. I was so anxious. I got everything. I had electric stim treatments. I had three days a week of physical therapy. I was on opioids. I was on muscle relaxers. I was on steroids. I got therapeutic massages. I got consults from orthopedic surgeons. I did all the things. okay? And I always tell people this because it is imperative for people to realize that it is the human condition to want to save yourself through the means that you know about, through the ones that make you comfortable, which is the most Western medical model. Like this is what we are used to and we always go there first and I do not discredit it at all. There are things that we need when my kids have strep throat, they get an antibiotic. Like I'm not brewing a witch's brew in my, in my kitchen. I'm not one of those. However, when the medical model runs the gamut and it cannot heal you. Mind body medicine offers incredible, incredible results and enlightenment. So, ending up, what ended up happening was, um, toward the end of this year, my kids are now, you know, let's say one and a half and three and a half, and I'm in this deli. Um, and I write this story in my book. I mean, at, at, at length, but I'll say it really quick. I was in this deli and I was trying to pay and my kids were really acting up. They're running around. They're grabbing the gummy, gummy worms and the chocolate covered pretzels and they're sh- and it's so embarrassing and everything felt so out of control. And I was a young mother and I'm having this horrible back pain and I was trying to pay. And when I finally paid, I took them by the wrists and we started walking to the car and it was a really active parking lot and we got to the car. And I, my back was seized up to such an extent, it was in such spasm, I couldn't get my kids in the car. And I couldn't let go of either of their wrists to grab anything to help myself because like my phone or my keys, because um, if I let go of one of them, they could have gone right out into the parking lot. And I stood there and I put my head on the window of my driver's side of my car. And I just sobbed. It was the lowest moment of my life. I feared for my children. I was an angry mom. I was an impatient mom. And now I was a completely paralyzed mom. And you know, I don't actually even remember how long I stood there, but the kids just went limp. They just stood there with me. It was really, really sad. And when I got them into the car finally and got them home, I got them to bed. And I will never forget this moment. I sat on my bed and I looked out the window into the stars, into the night, and I really surrendered. And I said, I need to figure out what's wrong with me and I will do anything, you know, mess with me. Don't mess with my kids. Like I, I need to figure this out. And that's when I went into New York and I actually saw Dr. Sarno. I saw him as a patient for real. Wasn't just reading the back cover of a book. And he explained to me the intricacies of the brain science and the mind body connection and how what he teaches and what I teach is something that most people already believe. For example, if I'm standing in front of a group of, let's say, a thousand people, I can say, how many people have ever had a stressful day, and at the end of the day, they had a headache, and every hand in the room goes up?
0: Sure, very common.
1: Of course. How many people have ever gotten a phone call, maybe a little too late at night, and you see it's your mother, and your stomach goes sick? Everybody's hand goes up, right? Like If you think something could be wrong, you feel it in your stomach. If your long, stressful day, you might feel it in your head. You know, who's ever heard of a comedian right before he's going to go on stage and he goes to the bathroom to throw up? It is a physical reaction from an emotional stimuli. That's all it is. So most people believe that already, hands down. But when something becomes chronic, like chronic migraine instead of the headache, chronic back pain, chronic irritable bowel disease instead of just a quick sick stomach, you know, chronic skin conditions except for breaking out into hives just when you're nervous, like, As soon as it gets chronic, like I said, it becomes an epidemic of fear and meaning. And then we seek outside treatments rather than knowing it's the same answer, taking care of what's going on inside our hearts, minds, and bodies. So Dr. Sarno really explained that to me, and then he explained to me that you really need to... Get out from under your repressed emotions because we all have them. By necessity, repression is a defense mechanism that keeps us safe. We can't possibly, as human beings, feel every single thing that makes us feel something. We'd be paralyzed. We would not be able to live our lives. There's too many things. We're soft and chewy. There's too many things that make us sad or insulted or angry or resentful or defensive. There's so many things that... A lot of them just have to be shoved down in order to live. And if you live long enough, they start to come out as chronic conditions in your body. And he explained this to me. And he explained to me the process by which we unearth them, which is what I have evolved into what I call journal speak, which I'm happy to explain. And when I understood the work and when I started to do the work and I started to feel, let's say... My back pain was a 10, and all of a sudden, it's a 7. And then my back pain goes from every day to maybe I'm only feeling it three days a week. And then all of a sudden, it's basically like I only feel it in the morning. And then I call Dr. Sarno, and I'm like, why do I feel it in the morning? Because I'm such a baby. I want everything gone, you know? And he said, well, that's just brain conditioning. Just let it be. You know, just tell it I'm good, you know? And, 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 And it started to fade. And then, so that was... Let's see, he's 16. So that was 15 and a half years ago, and I've never had a back pain since.
0: And so this is where I'm reminded of in your bio, letting letting your emotions have a steam valve. Mm -hmm. And I think also this idea of like giving your emotions a voice is another way of putting it. So this journal speak, is is this the idea behind that is if we all it's not possible for us all to regularly be feeling everything our body is feeling. So using journal speak, and I would love to hear more about like the technique there, but using journal speak, we are kind of letting those emotions be felt or are we just kind of like getting them out, whether they're felt or not, like just there's not enough room in here. Let's, let's kind of empty the tank a little bit. You know,
1: it's a good question. Kind of both. Because one of the things I hear a lot from people is, I don't feel deep emotion during every journal speak session, or sometimes I cry and then sometimes I feel totally numb. It doesn't matter. It is a left foot, right foot, breathe kind of walk the path practice, sort of like meditation. You're changing your neural pathways. You know, I interviewed an amazing doctor for my podcast. Um, it's going to air. I don't know when yours, when this one's going to air, but mine's going to air in, um, I think it's going to air in early. August. And um, his name is Dr. David Clark. And he's one of the um, pioneers of mind body medicine on the West Coast. And what he was saying was, what people need to understand is when we are in chronic pain of any kind, even if it's just, you know, you feel fatigued, or you don't feel energy for life, or it could be something as bad as you're bedbound. you know, anywhere in the spectrum, our brain has run neural pathways for pain and for suffering and for depression and for anxiety. And it's it's all well-tread. But when you start doing journal speak and allowing the repressed emotions to rise, little by slowly, those pathways are rewired and you start to just become more and more well. And another thing that's important to realize... And I know this is a lot for people to take in, especially if they have never heard of this. So just do know, and I'm sure Tim, you'll announce it. I have tons of online resources and many of them are free for people to really understand the nuts and bolts of what I'm saying. But what people need to understand, once again, shake your Etch-A-Sketch because this is going to sound weird, but your brain and your nervous system perceive your repressed emotions as a greater predator than your physical pain. Your physical pain is a safer space because the world is a big, bad place. And when you were a kid and you were in third grade and there was that bully that made you feel like you were a piece of crap and you go to work and you have this boss and there's just a little bit of an energy of him that makes you feel the same, you are triggered into these old feelings all the time. You might not even know it. And your brain and your nervous system have one role, which is to protect you and keep you safe. That's why the most hardwired experiences are those that cause us fear and trauma. That's why we remember the bad things very clearly. And there could be a hundred just pleasant days that you'll never remember from when you were 10, because that's what happens in our nervous system. It seeks to protect us. You have to remember the bad so you don't do it again, or you don't get yourself into that situation again. It's adaptive, it's biology. And so your repressed emotions are perceived as a greater predator and, and, your nervous system will protect against the predator. So let's say the outside big bad world is triggering you too much because you haven't taken a systematic look at your triggers, at your childhood or at your personality characteristics that cause you to be, let's say, a perfectionist or a goodist or codependent or what have you. A migraine is a super safe space. Go lay down, turn off the lights, cancel your plans, you're safe now. Now, I like to call that safe in the unsafest way because it's a shitty life, but it actually is a perception of your system as a safer space.
0: It's an amazing way to look at it. Is there an expiration date for repressed emotions? I mean, let's say you had something early on in your life and it's been 20 years. Is that, can that affect you less nowadays? Or is your body always going to respond in a way of like, when you're triggered by the big bad world, it feels like it is 20 years ago at that very moment it all occurred.
1: The answer to that question is the most beautiful part of all of this. Childhood is timeless until you feel through it. But once you feel through it, it is gone. It The empowerment I see in people is stunning. You know, I often say that pain in this process is the biggest, littlest part. Pain of whatever pain or symptom or condition, because I treat tons of different things, not just back pain, back pain, stomach issues, skin issues, pelvic pain, um, stomach stuff of all, did I say stomach, um, different alopecia, like there's all different things that people mm-hmm. have, you know, as manifestations. Having said that, when you go back and do this work, the pain becomes the biggest, littlest part because it's the invitation, but it brings you to the precipice of the truths that have been awaiting your acknowledgement. And once you feel into them, they are healed. And so I regularly hear people say, thank God for the pain. I can't believe I'm saying this, but look at my life. Look at the way I'm able to connect. Look at the way I'm able to love. Look at the way I'm able to parent or to work or to be with a partner. Like it's incredible. It truly is.
0: It's so counterintuitive to think, thank you for the pain or,
1: it is. I'm glad yeah.
0: it's here. It seems so against like our biological wiring.
1: Well, because, you know, I don't think as humans we are um, trained, for lack of a better word, to want the level of self-actualization that is available. I think that we're all trying to get through the day and I get it. I mean, I'm a mother of five. <laughs> I have three biological kids and two stepkids. I have a 12 year old and four teenagers. I mean, this is not, life is not a cakewalk, but I, I love it. I love it because I am not, First of all, I'm not parenting them through the lens of my own damage because I've gone back and done the work and I know how my father treated me and how it made me feel. And I know how my parents' divorce affected me and our issues with money. And I know who I am in this incredibly gentle, compassionate way through doing this work. But because I had pain, had I not had pain, I never would have done this hard work. Who wants to do it? It's a drag. But once you do it, you really awaken to the fact that you have been... In this jail, and it's a jail of your own making, but it's not your fault. This is, there's no fault here. And there's also no imagination here, meaning you are not imagining your pain. You know, the tagline on my website is the pain is not in your head, but the solution is not in your body. And when people realize that, your diagnosis is your diagnosis. It is real. You have migraines. You have fibromyalgia. It is real. You feel the pain as if someone were stabbing you with a knife. But the solution is never going to come from altering your physical body, either with surgery or medication. The solution must come from bringing your nervous system from fight or flight To rest and repair. And we do that through allowing the repressed emotions to rise so that the nervous system is no longer triggered into thinking it needs to defend against this predator of the bully in third grade being similar to your boss. Does that make sense? Because I talk about this so much, I don't know how it sounds when people hear it.
0: (laughs) I was just going to say that makes complete sense. The way you just phrased it, I mean, to me, it's clear as day. And then you wonder, well, why have I not? figured this out or like why haven't i done this already but what you just said earlier of we aren't trained for kind of the self-awareness that i think so many of us actually need to to make it through life uh, yeah. i mean myself it's something i've only really figured out in the past probably 2 years at most and all of a sudden you you mentioned earlier about like being able to or just this concept of bringing those repressed emotions. I think about like crying, right? Like I never cried in my life. I've cried more in like the past two years because of emotions running through me. And then like the tears are coming from that than I ever have. And I, you know, I think to myself, why, you know, what change? And it's so much of that. I don't, I haven't done journal speak or anything, but I think there's something there of like, somehow I've allowed it to like come out. Whereas before Mm -hmm. I was Maybe I was aware of it. I don't think I was even aware and I was just not willing to even think about it. You know, it it was the one I was pushing down. But how how do we, how do we increase that self-awareness? Like, how do we get to the point? Is it just, you know, through practices like your journal speak of, because I know the the idea there is like every day you are doing this to really drive it home. Is that enough? Or are there other ways to to bring up the self-awareness?
1: Well, let's talk about let's talk about journal speak a little bit um, more in more detail, because I think that um, that will help people understand what I'm saying. So I do believe that and this is like something I say a lot that I think is really important for people to hear. Life is a behavior modification program. You cannot think your way into better feelings. You must act your way. Like and that. the sooner we get that, the sooner we start to heal. Because I know that I have done this a million times. And I'm sure you have too. Laid in bed and thought and thought and thought and thought and thought about how you'd like to feel better and how everything is bad and how, and you don't feel any better. In fact, you probably feel worse and nothing changes. But if you get up, you make your bed, you take a walk in nature, something has changed. You know, move a muscle, change a thought. And so the practice of journal speak, which I'll explain, is... Incredibly helpful and healing. So if you do it, what you do is you open up this invitation to start feeling into things and then it can take you on a journey. I mean, I, I never used to meditate and ever since I started my journal speak practice. And of course, you know, I mean, that's old, old news for me because I've been doing it for many, many years. I became a real solid meditator and it has changed my life tremendously. And that's something that I never would have thought I did, but because I feel my feelings so deeply. I'm able to open myself to what's next. So if people or if this is connecting with people, the concept of journal speak, I'll explain it briefly. And as I said, I have tons of free resources. Um, it's you make three lists and the three lists are under the following categories, childhood, or you could also call that past stressors, daily stressors, and your personality. So childhood is and it's an exhaustive list and it's a bulleted list and it doesn't have to mean anything to anyone but you. Childhood is um, anything that you remember that happened that was upsetting. So it could be details like the bully in the playground or it could be my parents' divorce or it could be my mom, my dad. Those would be two people on the list. Maybe if you had siblings, the concept of money was big for me. The concept of moving was big for me because we moved several times when I was little. Um You know, my first boyfriend, like whatever you want to write. Okay, so that would be the details for the childhood. And that takes you all the way up because some people start this when they're 50 and they say, well, when does childhood end? And I say, well, childhood ends any time where what you're talking about no longer affects you day to day. So there's some things that'll be on both lists, like money would always be on both of my lists. And, you know, my father died when I was 27. um, So, you know, he currently wouldn't be on my list, but, you know, dealing with his death would be Mm -hmm. daily life, um, your boss, your job, your partner, your kids, your You know, your dog, I mean, anything that could be stressing you out in daily life goes on the daily life list. And it could always also be, you know, that time last week when Jim was an asshole, you know, like it, all it has to do is call into mind something that that weighs on your mind. And then personality list is a bit shorter, but it's qualities of your personality that lead you to always judge yourself. Perfectionism. You want to be seen as a good person. You know, you're not okay unless everybody else is okay. You know, you get defensive all the time. Whatever it is, you tell the truth. Nobody's seeing these lists but you. And you bullet out these lists. And then every day, journal speak is a 30-minute practice. That's it. I'm only asking for 30 minutes of your day. It will change your life. You pick something on your lists. You put it at the top of either a piece of paper or of a, a you know an empty document on your computer, and you put your timer for twenty minutes on your phone. You turn it over so you're not watching it click away, and you write for twenty minutes the most unfiltered, unapologetic, inappropriate, impolite, truth-telling, steam valve inviting situation. You just tell the effing truth. Like, you know, I, I I do a lot of swearing, as you might be able to tell, Um, and it and you just you, you rage or you cry or even if you if you feel so apathetic, then write, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care what you do. But for those 20 minutes, you give that situation a voice because there is a little kid in there. Even if you were 20, that's a 20-year-old kid. Like it's, it doesn't matter. There's someone you left behind that is in you that needs to speak. And so you do that for 20 minutes. And like I said, there's plenty of places to find out the details of this more in terms of what I offer. And then when it is over, you throw it away. If you have a piece of paper, I want you to rip it up into a garbage can where no one's going to see it. If you have a document, you just delete. It is an exercise. As one of my clients says, it's like blowing your nose. There's no reason to keep it. You are literally just getting out what you need to get out. And then the last 10 minutes is you just sit for 10 minutes in some version of loving kindness meditation for yourself. It could be guided. It could be singing bowls. It could be silence. It could be chanting. It doesn't matter what it is. But the only thing that's important about the meditation is that you are connecting to the most kindness you can have for yourself. Because a lot of times in journal speak, you have to say things that you're going to feel bad about. You know, I I had a woman once and her mother was dying and she had to say, I can't wait for her to die. I can't stand this pain for one more day. And she felt so guilty about saying it, but it made her shoulder pain go away. And she realized that she felt like she had the world on her shoulders because she was caring for this ailing mother and it was, it was killing her, but to be able to tell the truth and to feel that compassion for yourself, like you're just human. Like what's, this is the name of your podcast. (laughs) You know, like we're just human. We're just suffering. We're just sweet. We're just trying our best and having that loving compassion for yourself. You know, so I always say there's three facets of my work, believe, do the work and patience and kindness for yourself. Believe is take the leap that this can work for you. I have a podcast myself. I have I think it's like um, I'm up to like 90 something episodes and every other one is a success story of someone who was low, really low, who is completely well. I mean, I have so many stories. I write about them in my book. I talk about them. I have a private community on on Facebook where people are talking all the time. It it really works if you work it, and so that's believe, do the work as the journal, speak, practice, and patience and kindness for yourself. Don't watch the clock. Don't say why am I not better yet. Flood yourself with the kind of love and compassion you would show to a child you know or an animal you would know. You know, like be kind. We are so unkind to ourselves, and it's it's exhausting.
0: It really is.
1: <laughs> it is
0: yeah i I've never thought of it as we're unkind to ourselves, but when you phrase it that way, I, I see that so much. -hmm i I'm curious about the the journal speak. When you are doing this for 30 minutes a day and for 20 minutes of that, you are just completely letting it all out. Are there days is it acceptable to have days where maybe there's not as much that needs to be let out? Totally? Or, I mean like I'm I'm guessing that varies, but I, I could I'm I guess what I'm thinking about is if I were to try this, I could see on like day fourteen, if all of a sudden I felt like there wasn't as much to come out that day, I might get worried and be like, Oh no, should I be feeling more? Is it yeah. bad that I don't have anything people, to let out?
1: People ask that a lot. There is no right way to do the only wrong way to do this is to not do it. Hmm. So if you show up And the whole time you write, I have nothing on my mind. I don't care about this. This is stupid. I feel dumb that I'm here. I don't care. That's fine. That's one day. If the whole day you're like, I just don't feel angry. Can I just write about what I'm grateful for? I have had whole journal speak sessions where I am literally lit up with life. And I'm like, I just need to talk about how fun everything's been. It really doesn't matter. And another thing that people don't realize is that excitement and anxiety are the same exact physical phenomenon in our bodies. So the only way you know if you're excited or anxious about something is the context of the of, the, of your life. That's the only way. And that Wait, is an actual what? medical fact. That's a medical fact.
0: That's like blowing my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like it's such a stark contrast in emotion between excitement and anxiety.
1: And emotion it is but in your physical experience of it, try it next time. Next time you feel so excited about something, so pumped, touch into it and say, what if I was scared of this except, instead of happy about it? You feel the same. It is It is literally, I mean, this is This is not me. This is doctors that I've worked oh, with yeah. that explain this to yeah. me. And so what's great about knowing this is that you realize why the reason we suffer physically is not necessarily because something's negative. It's because we have big feelings. We have big feelings about things. And sometimes we're just so anxious for something to happen, but it feels like excitement. But we still need to write it out. We still need to get it out because it could be triggering us into some physical symptoms.
0: Oh, I so that's just blowing my mind. I-, I get that, though. Like, after you said that, I could see it's all contextual, really.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Oh, that's amazing. So you have three children. That has to be the most... Rewarding. I mean, thinking about your journey and being told so young that because of this chronic pain you're probably not going to be able to start a family, and then you go down your path and say, "Well, I'm going to figure this out," and then you have three children. Was that not not like, oh, this was all worth it? But was that just a milestone of like the strength I must imagine you got from that? Of I did that. I because it's like a physical manifestation. Yes, you weren't feeling the chronic pain anymore, but I was able to do something so physical that they told me I would never be able to do. I mean, give life to another human being.
1: Oh, 100%. My kids, and I know that probably a lot of parents say this, and it sounds kind of cliche, but they are my joy, my light, my heart in every single way. My daughter is 17. She's going off to college in the fall. My son is just turning 16 in a couple of weeks and he's going into 10th grade. And my little one is 12 and a half and she's going into seventh grade. And they are incredible and in everything. And I don't, I don't, I can't see any of my life having happened without them. And and quite frankly, I feel the same way when I hike a mountain or ride my bike. You know, I have a mm. I have an um, IGTV series on Instagram called "I Am Evidence," and the whole point of it is my whole entire life is evidence that this work will change yours.
0: That's such a great idea for a series. Thanks. I I saw it must have been your seventy year old then. Just recently, you had that, a YouTube video of her um getting accepted to the oh, her first Michigan choice yeah for University of
1: Michigan uh-huh that was sobbing. such a moving
0: moment yeah oh my gosh
1: <laughs> thank you that was the best freaking moment ever because i don't know if you realize it watching the video but i had locked my bedroom door because my two other ones were being so annoying they were like check it check it check the site <laughs> and she was sobbing because she was so anxious to check the site so i locked them out of the room and the moment she realized that she got in my my daughter picked the lock <laughs>
0: And no. so, if you see you
1: see the little one run in and jump into yes, her arms, yeah. that's because it was just like this very <laughs> magical
0: moment. <laughs> it's making so much more sense now because in the video, at one point, you're like, "Do not open that door!" Do not. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah. "Well, who's coming in?" And then, like you said, uh, once your daughter realizes she has yeah. the, val- the other daughter comes up and like hugs her. Yeah, oh, it makes more sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. and I thought. Well, I also just uh, so loved that you filmed that moment and and not just that you got that moment on video, because I imagine she'll love having that, but you could just hear in your voice how happy you were and how excited you were for her and just how you were so all in with her on that. And I thought that's going to mean so much to her.
1: Oh, thank you for noticing that. Yeah. You know, I have to say, and it actually does pertain to this conversation, When Isabella was two is when I got um, this, you know, got this whole chronic pain stuff and started to understand how to heal myself. And I started going into my own childhood and kind of really taking a compassionate look at at how hurt I was by certain things that happened to me and through the way I was parented by my father, who he loved me so much, but he was really um, a very unhappy, sort of um dissatisfied person. And the way he wanted to love me was to tell me how I could be better all the time. And uh. that for a kid is really hurtful. And I don't know what kind of parent I would have been had I not had the pain, which led me to do the work, which led me to not parent these kids through the lens of my own damage. And when you bring up that moment, the reason I share these like incredible moments with my children is because I have brought them up to totally be in their power who they are what they think what they feel not what I need them to be so now as teenagers when so many kids are shutting their parents out my kids are inviting me in and I just that's blessing I have to say is probably the biggest blessing I've gotten from doing this work to be able to parent cleanly that make it about them not make it about them fulfilling my dreams because that's what my dad did and you know he passed away young and and sometimes I wonder if it was because he was so repressed that he, you know, his his body ended up failing and he died of bacterial meningitis. So I mean, it's it's a it's a disease obviously, but it's just, you know, for 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 me, I just believe in whole body health and I believe that there's so many benefits from knowing your deepest truth and coming into alignment with it.
0: I'm such you know I've become such more a believer in just the idea of mind-body connection. I've really started to become more in tune with because I like you, I, I think there's something to that. Like the body, your physical feelings or you know, what you're feeling physically it just cannot be this entirely separate system. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, I don't know if your dad necess- you know, if that was all connected, but I have to believe some part of it. Right. Like there's.
1: I do. Yeah. yeah, I do. Like, why was his immune system so low that he exactly. got such a bad case of this meningitis that he died overnight because he died at 53 literally overnight.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. And so young. yeah,
1: it was tragic. And it, he was so young. But, you know, I, you know, there's no way to know. There's wow. no way that we'll ever know, but I do believe that um, there's a mind-body component to literally everything. You know, like I've worked with people with cancer and I can't cure cancer once cancer starts, but I'll tell you, I have worked with people that have gone into quick remission and have not gotten cancer back after doing this work. So, you know, who's to say what happens when you, when you stop forcing your immune system to work, to fight so hard to keep you safe and to keep you well. When you take away all that stress,
0: it's also it can't hurt to do the work that you are describing. Of, no, it's so you good know, for everyone. Connecting the mind to the body, looking at the repressive emotions, and all of this—like even at the end of the day, if it doesn't get you one hundred percent of the way there, it's going to make progress, and it's not going to make things worse. Like, so it's almost right. like why wouldn't you, you know, try? You know, go down this path, and and right. I mean, you've helped how many people?
1: Uh, many, I mean, cause I have an online course. I have a book. I do online retreats now during COVID. So I, I work with people all over the world. It's, it's awesome.
0: That's awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for taking the time today. And I'm so excited to, to help, you know, share what you're doing with, with, uh, whoever's listening today. And, um, I hope I'll, I'll put some of your links in the show notes. Cause I do think uh, you have so many resources and it's a great way for people to dive in and learn more.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. It was fun to talk about it.
0: Thanks for listening to We're Only Human. Before you go, I would love to know what you had for breakfast this morning. Just send me an email, tim at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com and let me know what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks.